to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey y'all, today I've got a relatively short but special episode for you. I got to meet up with Daryl Kinso, also professionally known as DS Kinso, and his Project Space Boom Concepts. I first met Daryl just at the inception of Boom, just as they moved into their current space on Penn Ave back in 2013. Back then there was tons of construction on that street and it looked totally different than it does now. But back then I approached Boom with this strange idea, the silly idea to curate a painting show with a bunch of conceptual, installation-based, and video-based artists. And I was curious what would happen with this silly idea. And Daryl was excited by my strange curatorial project and gave us a space and we had their first show there. And that's where our friendship began. Over the years, we got to see each other's artistic career grow and I was really excited and happy to interview Daryl after all our shared experiences. Daryl describes himself as a black creative entrepreneur and cultural agitator, and his work tends to focus on themes of escapism, spacekeeping, urban tradition, pop culture, hip-hop, informalism, and cultural appropriation. As mentioned earlier, Darrow is part of and is the co-founder of Boom Concepts. Boom is a combination workspace and creative hub that offers artist studios in auxiliary locations across Pittsburgh's unique neighborhoods. Um, on top of all these different activities, Daryl also works with youth, community artists, and community partners in order to identify ways for youth to express issues of social justice through drama, dance, music, visual art, and technology. At the time of the interview, which somehow was over a full year ago, actually looking at the dates in the file, they're uh, July 29th, and right now it's August, early August, and um, Daryl had just become a father and was a very busy man. Uh, his marriage was three days away, and he had a lot on his mind, but since I was leaving for Berlin very soon, Daryl was kind enough to squeeze in some time for a short interview. Daryl was taking a break with a deinstall at Boom Concepts, and keeping a close eye on his daughter, Liberty. There are a few stray baby sounds and other noises in this space as a result, but hopefully they aren't too distracting. I would definitely would like to chat longer with Daryl in the future. And in any case, I hope you enjoy this. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Uh, so right now I'm here with Daryl Kinsel at Boom Concepts. And uh, we're also right next to Liberty, who's right below him, so she might make a few noises here and there, but I apologize for that. Um, we're also deinstalling our monthly exhibition, so I think this is a perfect representation of my practice. Yeah, the yeah. The noise and the action behind the interview. Yeah, yeah. I just want to, I guess, some easy questions. Let's start out with how did you get into art? How did you get into Boone Concepts and that whole history? Oh, how did I get into art? Um, I haven't been asked that in a really Is that long a bad question? time. No, I don't think it's a bad question. You know, I think all people make stuff and are creative and, you know, have innovation within them because I believe creativity is just kind of like a step before innovation. 
Um, but I think I, I decided to make this my job. I made a conscious decision when I was 25. Um, I'll be 34 years old this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's like three days away from my wedding, too. So it's a big, big year. Wedding, baby, birthday, older, wiser, hopefully richer. Um, <laughs> I think you're sure. <laughs> but this, uh, the, yeah, this journey for me be- began as a conscious decision at 25. I was uh, in a neighborhood called Regent Square um, in Pittsburgh. There were a lot of different um, artists, more... A hobbyist, I would say, uh, and also people who were doing it for like some sad interests more so. Um, and I was really inspired by them. There were a couple kind of college kids who were like fine art focused, sprinkled it within that community. You know, around that time, I just really wanted to wanted to go for it. It was something that I was always interested in. I have primarily been working with community and youth. I always you know, was an educator in some way, shape, or form. You know, I was a preschool teacher, I think, around that time. Mm-hmm. And always wanted to, you know, make that transition from kind of just making stuff to sharing and selling stuff. You know, yeah. I like to say I went I went to the same high school as Andy Warhol, and I lived in the same neighborhood really? as August Wilson. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's like that's some, you know, legacy, some creative legacy that I, I wanted to find inspiration from. So yeah, 25, I, I started really trying to go for it. I started showcasing my work. The first place I showed my work uh, was at a, a gallery and design studio called Image Box on Penn Avenue in Pittsburgh. It's a really supportive place. Shout out to John. You know, I still try to show there like once a year. Yeah, hopefully this coming year. Yeah, hopefully this coming year because I was just telling you before the before yeah. the interview, I haven't had a show in two years. Yeah. Uh, like a formal solo show. And, you know, Pittsburgh is just like a super supportive place for artists, for entrepreneurs, because there's space within the ecosystem. Yeah. You know, that also means you can hit a ceiling pretty quick, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I think myself and some of my contemporaries and colleagues are experiencing right now. Yeah. How and what. I think that's like part of the reason I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to have a show. Right. Um, Because you've done you've done a lot, right? Because you've done residency. At CMU, you've done a um, billboard project at, on the Rosa Villa um, building by the uh, Andy Warhol Museum. Yep. That's, yeah, that's, just her, like, that's, her, like, that's, that's the, the best that you can yeah. um, hit yeah. in Pittsburgh. Uh, unless, like, you know, Carnegie or Warhol wants to give me a solo show, which yeah, would be fingers, cool. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I think my, well, I know my transition to co-founding Boom Concepts, it kind of grown out of my dedication to field building and community. I never was really tight chested with information or opportunity. I always tried to share and spread um, because a lot of times, man, I was like the only black person, the only person of color in group shows showing on during unblurred. Yeah. I'd be like the one POC artist in general, no black people, no brown people, no nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yo, are Asian people considered brown? I think it depends who you talk to. It, to I, it, in my experience, they're considered at least people of color. That's why I think too. Uh, you know, I mean, just like every um, culture, like there's definitely colorism that yeah. happens in Asia. So yeah. there's a sort of wanting of a whiter skin. Yep. Um, you know, and so like there's definitely 
a weird hierarchy that's that exists thanks cool. to colonialism. All right, and like anti-blackness is a global construct, yeah. regardless mm-hmm. of what culture and yep. or industry you're in. Um, but yeah, there was no one. You yeah. know what I mean? Like no one. Yeah. So you know, after a, a conversations within my own community, conversations online. You know, you really utilizing platforms like Twitter for real conversation Mm -hmm. and trying to get across channels of power. Right. You know what I mean? Because those those places, these platforms are kind of equalizers for power. Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, some folks from the foundation, some folks from community development corporations were kind of keyed into the conversation, you know, that I was having that I was kind of rocking out and asking people questions. You know, at the same time, um, our co-founder here at Boom Concepts was having similar conversations, you know, with some of the similar uh, positions of power. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when that time for the conversation with power came, you know, we organized a small group. I organized a small group of folks to kind of come to the table and sit. And, you know, after that, Thomas and I, the co-founder here at Boom Concepts, they wanted to put like six people in our space alongside us. And then we just kind of like other organizations. Yeah. In this space. Yeah. It was That's, like, Oh, there's somebody up the street and this is blah, 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 blah. And oh we're like, gosh. we can curate and facilitate and produce all of that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we weren't friends. Um, we just had a lot of respect for each other kind of across, you know, what we each did individually as creatives and entrepreneurs, you know, the rest is history. People have been telling us that this is historic which I never sought out for that, you know. You mean Boom itself? Boom is, itself yeah. is historic. You know, some of the funding we've been able to garner, some of the, you know, representation and, and shows we've been able to produce. You know, this is our second year uh, working with Let's Get Free. What's uh, that? Which is an organization that fights for prison reform, really prison, like abolishing the prison system and the... un. Yeah, and the unfit justice system. Um, so, you know, we, last year we raised about $5,000, you know, through our sales and whatnot. And this year we raised over $5,000 through our sales and yeah. whatnot. And that goes back to the organization who then in turn funnels it back to, you know, the people they work with, the communities they work with, paying people who have just gotten out. You know, so I never thought about that. And, you know, another reason why we started Boom Concepts or I started Boom Concepts is because I almost blew my house up. Uh, my, I didn't hear that. My, yeah, this is a story I've been telling lately. My studio <laughs> um, was in the basement uh, of my home uh-huh. that I shared shared with a roommate, and it was next to the furnace. And I, um, oh no, I'm turpentine. In, well, encaustic. Oh yeah, right. I'm a encaustic painter, so I'm melting all this wax and my hot plate and you know other kind of adhesives yeah. and all different types of shit. And a fire started. And I was able to tamp it out, but it was like really, really, really scary. Yeah. Especially for the the small space that I was operating in. And I was like, man, I got to get up out of here. So a little bit of fire, a um, little bit of need. And, you know, we when we did the walkthrough and everything, it opened itself up to being a place for others. Right. We always we wanted to provide something more, especially in the ways of support than, you know, what we had experienced up to that point. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember in a funny way I met you because this was I think Boom's I put on a show and it was like Boom's first or second show. Yeah, that was super, super, super early on. Yeah. And I think you were the only you and Julie were the only people 
who seem to make it easier for anyone to sort of talk to and go through a process of showing that wasn't so uptight. Yeah, you know? we wanted to, I think we wanted to be open and still know that this is a job. Yeah. You know, yeah. like making it easy or kind of explaining or or helping folks along yeah. doesn't mean that there's a lack of professionalism. Right, absolutely. You know, it doesn't mean that there's a lack of standard so really bringing and that's you know when thomas and i founded the space we are products of hip-hop culture and you know hip-hop is something that is it's competitive <laughs> um but it's also very community-based yeah. and collaborative so yeah. you know we just being in line because a lot of times people forget hip uh visual art is one of the core elements of hip-hop culture through graffiti and mm -hmm. tagging and bombing so you know and with our core team we just always want to make sure that people feel that. So, you know, you said me and Julie and, you know, folks and Quinique and our studio mm -hmm. assistants, you know, that's something that we want to really roll out and make sure it's carried on throughout. You know, I don't like calling people staff. I mean, people do get paid here, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, throughout our, our team and, and the people who are influenced by Boom, we want to carry that on. Right. And it seems like also you're able to intersect it in a real um, important way with all these different events that are happening outside, you know, this one particular Penn Ave area. Like I know like when um, open engagement happened, you you had events here that happened as well. I yep. assume things are going to happen when the international happens in October. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's appropriate for artists run, artists lab projects to be challenging establish institutions or organizations operating yeah. in a fan art context. And it is wise for artist lab projects to be collaborating, connecting yeah. and aligning with institutions. And it make it works well for the institutions, yeah. you know? So we've had the benefit. I mean, that's how our partnership with the Andy Warhol museum started. There was a campaign, um, an advertising campaign that, you know, we didn't necessarily agree with. We thought it was extremely offensive. What was that campaign? Um, oh, yeah, this was like before your time. It was uh, pictures of uh, like aristocratic robber barons transposed with like kind of cool hip hop lyrics. It's like riding in my Maybach, yeah. sipping Henny. And it's like this. Um, what were the advertising? Uh, who was it? It wasn't Anasaku. It was, it was an artist who did appropriations. Mm. Um, one of the one of the pieces actually had the artist as like a European, um, like woman of royalty or esteem, and the black chambermaid. Jeez. Yeah, they're a super famous artists, and you know we just thought that some of the works that they selected were distasteful, but the advertising campaign in, in particular were distasteful. Right. Especially since they were utilizing kind of hip hop culture and vocabulary, but there was a real lack and absence of hip hop culture of black culture. Right. I mean, you know, they got Basquiat sitting in the back collecting dust. Yeah. You know, that our own rotation sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, yeah. So we wrote a, <laughs> we wrote a letter Met with the director, Eric Shiner. Shout out to Eric. You know, that's really, really good colleague of mine. I was able to create a relationship with him while he was here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, out of that, we started a public art program on the Rosa Villa, which mm. is a building that they own. You know, so to be able to kind of turn that piece of agitation or conflict into a program that 
you know, gets artists working with an established international institution, public art being presented, not in the inside, but on the outside of the yeah, museum, yeah, yeah. but also helping to build people's portfolio. Right, right. right. They work with artist image resource on that project. So everyone got new prints, work with fabricators like print fabricators um, and got really high quality documentation. Yeah. You know, we count that as a win. Yeah. And the people who ended up talking to the Warhol, was that Boom Concepts or your own separate from Boom? Through the letter? Yeah, yeah. It was like a a little bit before Boom. Okay. I was at the lead of it. It was myself, Julie Malice, Liana Manise, and Thomas Jameson, Mm -hmm. uh, local activists, creative entrepreneurs, kind of across sector here, artists as well. And then I was always kind of taking the lead, being the delivery guy, yeah. being the voice, helping to cultivate, helping the corral folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the project that came out of it, Activist Print, was led by Boom. Yeah, a lot of stuff, when you are an artist who works in social practice or creative placemaking, cultural space keeping, um, as I identify, a lot of my projects or advocacy pieces get really intertwined yeah. with the kind of institution or small organization that I lead. Yeah. So, you know, it's, sometimes it's difficult and I think I need to do a better job of separating boom concepts, a piece of my practice. Right. And then, you know, what is the rest of my archive right. look like that right. is like physical art pieces or conceptual work or yeah, yeah. stuff that exists on the, in the digital space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And I don't, I think any artist who has Austin organization, it can get difficult when, yeah, and, the, and this organization, too, in particular, is small enough. Yep. You know, like, I think some artists have large enough institutions that, like, you don't see their name on it. Like Rick Lowe, yeah. you know, who's, like, one of our inspiration points. Um, he sort of, every, everyone wants to be Rick Lowe because what he did was sort of amazing. Yep. And, like, we kind of come from the same soil. I lived in project housing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we, we are in a black community. So that's some of the things we template off of. But it's just, like, how does... You know, always thinking about how does someone like Mr. Lowe separate his work from Project Row House itself. You know, a lot of another good example we have is Umberto Krenka Mm -hmm. of AS220 in -hmm. Providence, Rhode Island. You know, he's the founder, kind of the figurehead and the face. um, But he's also a super talented artist, has had shows across the world. Um, There's the Esther Gates in Chicago. Right, the Esther. And they all all have different strategies because I think for Rick... I don't actually, I'm not too familiar with Rick's work outside of Project Row House. I think I felt like. Oh, he's a crazy painter. Is he? Oh my goodness, dog. He's a crazy painter. It could be that he's also humble too. Because because like, I think I say that also because yes, there's, is this sort of, you know, uh, He's like larger a, than life, like character. a big mansion yeah. of creative placemaking. Right, right. And so like <laughs> he very clearly identifies what is, you know, part of his project yep. of archiving and then what is his project as an artist. Yep. And I remember with Rick, when I met him, he was like this super quiet. I didn't even know that was Rick Lowe. I just like I went to Project Roadhouse one summer and I was just checking it out and I you know, I didn't know what he looked like. And then I just said hi and then I left and it wasn't until like a month later. I was like, Oh, that's who Rick Lowe is. We were in Houston. Uh, my wife and I were in Houston visiting some friends who are connected with Project Row House and are just, you know, really inspiring artists of the ecosystem. You know, shout out to Robert Hodge. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Lisa Harris of mm-hmm. Houston um, and of the world. You know, these people are of the world. And I'm like, 
walking around Project Royal House like three times trying to look for this guy because I was like, I have to meet him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I see him out like we're about to leave. And I'm like taking pictures and I see him outside. And I was like, oh, you're the man. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, for this yeah. gen- for this gentleman to be behind this like grand, really cutting edge and innovative and, you know, a simple thought. Yeah. Uh, let's take these shotgun houses and make them artists, artist housing. Yeah. And, you know, probably get some projects. And, you know, to see the the names that are on each home and the funders and, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about all the work. And for I'm like, oh, you're the man. And he's like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I was like, are you Mr. Rick Lowe? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I am Rick Lowe. <laughs> I'm that man. I'm that man. <laughs> you know, it was it was a great lesson. Yeah. In the moment for me. Yeah. You know? about you know doing this work and if it is focused on community mm-hmm. and field building yeah. and cultural place space keeping yeah. you know how do you have to stay grounded and you know creating that separation so you don't feel like you like there's a town named after you or some weirdness you know yeah 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 absolutely yeah um i think one thing that you briefly mentioned is sort of like the digital space and i saw your um creative mornings talk oh yeah and you talk, I, I noticed that, that your talk there it primarily focused on the digital space. And yep. I'm curious, yeah, could you talk more about the use of hashtag? I mean, hashtags in general, I think, you know, I think of Twitter a lot, you know, and black Twitter and sort of you were talking about having a community space and how I think the digital space is one of the easiest ways to generate community in a more, not always, but in a more democratic sort of environment. You know, you don't need funding to create that community. Yeah, it's a way to connect across issue, right? So if you have similar issues or if you're trying to find that great word we're always looking for these days, intersectionality. Intersectionality, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place. I've been working on a project called Hashtags Are The New, pro- pro- blah, blah, blah. Hashtags are the new Protest Signs. Mm-hmm. Um, over the past few years, you know, Creative Mornings is a place where I've presented it. I've got, taken it online. I've presented it at Allied Media Conference mm-hmm. um, t- two years in a row. I did. We did something. I did something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the digital space, I think it is the next step or it has been the next step for agitational propaganda. Yeah. And, you know, in my Creative Mornings conversation, you know, I really drilled down into activism, advocacy and advertisement. Mm-hmm. You know, and those things are key for artists, but people in any community and really looking to connect people. So if you Google hashtags are the new protest signs or put in the hashtag hashtags are the new protest signs. Yeah, yeah. uh, You'll see people who have taken part in the project. I encourage people. I kind of utilize it as a photo booth Mm -hmm. for people to dress up, make an avatar of themselves Mm -hmm. and then place their hashtag of activism, advocacy, or advertisement. Right. Um, because if I put something that says hashtag boom concepts, that's a that's an advertisement, yeah. you know? Yeah, to cancel um, collection. Exactly. So to to really allow people to share and be able to present uh, their information or what they believe in in a really simple way, but also it helps because the internet is a great place for archiving. You know, a lot of small advocacy points or you know things that people rally around they don't have the finances to really archive appropriately yeah you know a a thing 
um, that my good friend and contemporary Becca Zayla Mguni has taught me is the importance of archiving. She's mm-hmm. a printmaker and a librarian, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> which is a, like amazing to me. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just like really archiving and being able to refer back because, you know, one thing that, you know, we realize with Bloom Concepts is the other projects run by black and brown and POC folks in this town or in this region, there is a lack of any file, mm-hmm. pictures, news articles. Yeah. You know, you can't rely on white Western media to appropriately archive your culture, right. to write about your culture. Mm-hmm. So there's like, I was able to find, I was Googling, um, there's this project called the Bridge Spotters that was here in Pittsburgh. It was an artist run, kind of similar to Boom. We were definitely part of that lineage. And the only thing I've been able to find online is like an old e-blast that pops up. <laughs> you know, so, wow. and this is before Facebook, before... And you couldn't find any of the original members? Uh, yeah, we've been able to find original members that have anecdotal, right? right. There's like anecdotal and living archive, right. but just to like be able to go read pictures, something, articles, pictures, articles, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, in the project, the hash, hashtags are the new protest signs. It engages so many folks and it just is an easy archival yeah. tool as yeah. well. And I've done it. I, you know, I still make sure I turn those hashtags and, you know, different messages into physical agitational propaganda. So a lot of my street art practice or street installation, I'm able to, um, because the internet is not an endpoint, so I'm able to connect right. the real world to the digital experience. Yeah, yeah. Are you ever afraid of these companies, you know, being the gatekeepers or co-opting all your um, methods of engagement? Because, you know, because one thing that I talked to an archivist recently and one thing that they were worried about was the fact that you know, Facebook owns all your images, Instagram owns your images, Twitter can at some point delete those hashtags or change the algorithm to make them basically useless. Yeah. I mean, that is the reality of engaging with the platforms. Yeah. I don't know if it is a fear. It isn't necessarily any hesitancy around that. You just have to be updated with policy and procedures. That long screen with all the small print. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> with the little box that says, oh, yeah, I read this. Yeah, I agree. You, know, you have to read that and yeah. you have to be updated. Like when there's an update, learn about it, read about it. Um, it's, you know, you mentioned Facebook. I am not engaging with the platform right now directly. Mm-hmm. I'm still on Instagram and Facebook owns Instagram, yeah. you know, but right now I'm not really engaging with Facebook um, due to some of those things that you mentioned. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what is the best mode and what's the best way you know, for the project to exist on that platform. Right. Um, but, you know, I think it's like, it's it's better to, you know, I think engage in it, but also you have to be sure that you know what you're getting into. I went to a talk at Brown University. In Rhode Island. Yep, with, who was it? Oh, got some gas, little baby. Oh, there's a little baby here, y'all. She has gas. She's four months old. Her name is Liberty. It's my daughter. It's part of life. Part of life. Part of being an artist. Yeah. But it was a, there was a historical, like a really prominent member of Angela Davis. I'm just like, who was I looking at? I'm like, prominent member of the Black Panther Party, woman, Afro. I had to like go through all of these things, right? 
um, because his father brain is real. So, and someone asked her about utilizing hashtags in the internet for activism work. Ooh, that's a good question. And I have it on video. Like, I switched, swapped it out. You know, I swapped out my phone. Yeah, yeah. And she remarked on how they were never this connected. Black Panthers mm-hmm. of that era, mm-hmm. based on technology available, also based on phones being tapped, people being followed, you know, now everything is tapped, right? right? Yeah. Like observation and they can, government can call those hashtags and send me down if they want to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she talked about the power of the internet and of some of these tools that we have readily available, but also reminding this generation not to forget about the value of human interaction mm-hmm. or direct interaction or physical interaction. So, you know, whispering something to somebody, writing a letter as opposed to writing an email and the different modes of communication and how they are effective. So, you know, the phone is not outdated. It just has other tools alongside it. Yeah. Getting in touch with people sometimes can be complicated because there's so many modes of communicating. See, I think that's a great... So you... We're calling me and texting me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. G1, I love you. I'll do anything. Yeah, no, I mean, no bad feelings. But, like, you really didn't catch me till you walked into Boom physically. Yeah, yeah. And I knew, I knew that I knew that, that was the best way, but then, you know, I live, like, four blocks down the road. But yeah. every time I did stop, you just happened to not yeah, be here. Yeah, I, mean, so, I mean, you're busy. You but work the at physical, yeah. right? She's, yeah. like, really saying, like, don't decrease the value of, like, the real-life interaction. And mm-hmm. when we had that real-life interaction, it was like, all right, here's the date. Here's the time. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's important. Yeah, and I think I also, like, have been sort of weeding myself off of social media. I deleted, you know, the Facebook app from my phone so I have to like physically log, log in. on log yeah. in I don't get any I turned off all my notifications yeah just there's just too much like you know FOMO happening I feel like on social media yep so I guess if we want to if I if we can switch over talk about your own work yeah uh, some of the things that I've seen that I don't think I've ever talked to you fully about I think I've seen a lot of these images of you in Sedona doing a performance piece. I thought those images were always so striking, but I never got to learn more about it. Uh, so the street art is, you know, something that is like at the core of my practice. Um, I was a tagger and graffiti artist. Um, what was your tag name? Not going there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, tattooed on my body, though. All right. You know, that's how dedicated I am yeah, you know, yeah. to that element of the culture. It has evolved, and it has been a really interesting evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been influenced by so many people. Uh, my hand style is influenced by one of my colleagues, Maggie Negretti. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a, former, a former friend a contemporary of mine taught me about yarn bombing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, temporary public structures yeah. or temporary installations. I had a friend who was part of the yarn bombing collective in L.A. Right? Yeah. Um, and in Pittsburgh, you can do federal time for being a graffiti artist. Yeah. It's something that the city really champions mm. as being a modern place and a safe place. Right, right. So... You know, I have really evolved to doing less tagging and more sculptural work, more Mm -hmm. three-dimensional work, 
uh, signage, mm-hmm. still using text and lettering yeah. as a f- primary form, you know, yeah. so staying true to graffiti in that realm. It's been important to me also like just through the evolution of my own practice and some of my own other projects, just like, how are we like, what do these, what does it represent for me? You know? And these sculptures are sort of like totems in mm. my practice representing like places of power or communicating places of shelter for black communities, for black culture. Yeah. Also like a lot of reappropriation of images. So I use uh, nigger and nigga mm-hmm. a lot in the text um, using like blackface, mm-hmm. like taking doll heads and making porcelain dolls, making them blackface. So there's yeah, like yeah. a little bit of juju involved. Yeah. You know, putting elders or those who have passed or points of inspiration images. And that's something that's really fun. And also it's something that's removable. Yeah. You know, it doesn't cause a lot of damage to someone's property. Um, Telephone poles are public property. So I kind of pay for them through my tax dollars. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had to really think about the approach and the strategy alongside the aesthetic a little bit more. Um, Because we've helped graffiti artists get off parole uh, through volunteering at Boom Concepts. Right, and like I don't, you? Yeah. Well, uh, right? uh, Jim's. Jim. Okay. Jim's and another guy. Um, and then, you know, thinking about totems, thinking a lot of my paintings are focused on portals, so also thinking about how these street totems could be used and, you know, some type of conceptual ceremony to unleash, like, ancestral energies or protections or transport if you're in danger. So these portals... In these totems and thinking about who are the deities, you know, who are the de- conceptual deities within my practice who will come out of that. Right, right. So a lot of the photos that you reference from uh, my residency in Sedona are my expressions of these deities that would come from the mm. street totems. Right. You know, so again, like if you think about, you know, symbolism and reappropriation of images, there's like a... um they're images of me hanging myself like Mm -hmm. a staged hanging Mm -hmm. with, you know, American flag garments on and caution tape. Um, there's a, another gentleman who was on residency alongside us. Um, and I have him kind of like strapped to a chair, kind of like almost being whipped. Mm, I don't Um, think I've seen that one. Yeah. And there's another one of me, you know, some, and it's also like, I don't use my own body in my work. So, you know, Thinking about self-portrait, thinking about representation. I got a little bit of that from you. Really? Uh, with that, uh, the orange. Really? Right? Yeah, Were you yeah. exploring yeah, orange yeah. and what does it mean to you yeah. culturally? Yeah, the yeah, Chinatown Chinatown orange. Yeah, 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 I got some of that from you too, Aww, bro. Thank you. Yeah, definitely inspired by it. I was like, oh, that's like a really interesting reappropriation and re-ownership and exploration of, you know, something that's like offensive. Right, right. And whatnot. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I'm pulling from a lot of people. That's like one of the great things being at Boom, you know, being on residency gives, gives me opportunity to mm-hmm. kind of synthesize yeah. everything and boil it down. So, you know. Like asking my my girlfriend at the time, you know, wife now to help me find a tree so I can hang myself. And will you take photos? And she had already taken pictures of me um, in like an American flag diaper at the basketball court, yeah. kind of recreating some deities. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, some of these power images. And she was like, We've made enough friends here. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> but yeah, those are some of my favorite images as well. I always feel really uncomfortable sharing them or like putting them on the internet because you think about like 
people taking or I would hate for that to show up in a gap ad or like a McDonald's commercial or something weird. Like there was like a burger chain that recently showed ISIS murdered reporter or something like some, yeah, some weirdness happened. Yeah. You know, so people pull things without thinking and, you know, whiteness is just stupid in general. I mean, and they do it because those organizations don't have anyone, like you just need one person uh, of color in different communities to just be like, yeah, that's not right. But because it's all a group of white people, they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know? Yeah. You know? And yeah. So, you know, who took the pictures? Oh, since, since at that point you're like, yeah. So I didn't take the pictures talking about pictures of me hanging myself and my wife saying no. So, uh, one of our residency friends, who's also a good friend of mine, uh, I haven't seen in a little while, little miss hot mess, who's doing some big things um, I hear. Shout out to Little Miss Hot Mess. But she helped me. They helped me with the photos to take those beautiful photos. Mm. We had met initially at AS220 in Providence. Um, we were part of kind of like a cabaret, a weirdos performing. So I was doing some like performative live painting. And Little Miss Hot Mess was like Hillary Clinton in the like uh, dragged up as Hillary Clinton shredding emails huh. in the corner like a durational performance this is uh was this in conjunction with or sort of she was, that was what they were doing that was what they were doing okay. yeah we were all and then john waters was like the central cabaret performer wow so <laughs> so john Waters was was with you in the residency uh he was it was like we were all performing as part of as220's like oh, okay large uh fundraiser event oh nice um it was like in this old strip club yeah, in downtown yeah. Providence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there were about four of four or five of us and John Waters as like the central weirdo. Mm. You know? That's awesome. So technically I've performed with John Waters before. Yeah. <laughs> I put that down. <laughs> but yeah, like those images, you know, Little Miss Hot Mess really helped us out. Took the photos. You know, I had a long conversation because this person is like a white, queer person i'm like yo i got mad love for you but let's like have a conversation yeah yeah you know but we had already been having those conversations and there were some like already some weird racial shit with the residency one of them being that pittsburgh sent a contingent of artists having no poc artists involved in the residency prior or with we weren't a part of the pittsburgh contingency oh i see that is that's awkward that is awkward not for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that's been a great experience. And those photos, you know, helped us develop those ideas, helped us develop the immersive theater project that we're working on now. Okay. So you see the street art led to those images, which were representation of kind of street deities or who yeah, yeah. or what kind of ancestral powers or ancestral um, representations would come from these street totems yeah, yeah. through ceremony. And now we're working on an immersive theater project uh, which we won on uh, the 2016 French Festival here in Pittsburgh. Oh, nice. Um, with a piece called If I Die, I'm a Legend, mm. uh, tale of Orisha, Hoodoo, and Black Lives Matter. Mm. So it's a little bit of time travel. Um, it's about community change. It's about the velocity of change. You know, it's about the ghost uh, of the past interacting, you know, with the ghost of the future. Features... You know, members of our Boom team and Boom studio team as these deities. 
You know, so I think the next iteration kind of of those photos, I don't think if anybody else would agree to hang themselves or stage that hanging, I'll leave that to myself. But, you know, we'll probably be looking to make some other um, like photo shoots or performative photographs of the deities kind of in action around a piece of street art, a street totem, a street shrine of something. And so is there going to be a bigger another run for the immersive theater or yeah we're looking we've been doing it in kind of vignette style um over the past year uh we received funding from the hands and diamonds and the pittsburgh foundation to roll it out this year congrats uh, thank you so much um so we're working with uh, lauren goshinsky and the august wilson center labs project mm-hmm. uh, we worked with a organization called Lynx Hall in Chicago, where we recently had a production of the piece. We're in conversation with Community Forge, uh, which is a artist-run organization in Wilkinsburg, a small town right outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And we're also looking to return to Providence because we have a really good relationship uh, between the two cities and um, Philadelphia, which is somewhere we have. Pittsburgh doesn't have a good relationship with Philadelphia. That's what, that's what it seems like. In any sector. It's not just like a sports... Weird thing. Well, thanks for chatting, Daryl. Uh, how can people find you and learn more about you? Yo, check me out. I'm in Pittsburgh right now. All right. So when you come to Pittsburgh, ask about DS Kinsel. Um, if you're on the internet, you can search me hashtag Kinsel Collection. Um, that shows just like everything about my practice, boom concepts, working with youth, lectures. And that's the greatest way to just get a full breadth of what I do. Or you can check me out at D-S-K-I-N-S-E-L, D-S Kinsel on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And, yo, we really proud of you, Doc. You know what I'm saying? You was one of the first shows Thanks. at Boom. You know, you always been cool. You always been 100. You were able to bust out of the uh, bubble of academia. I try. You know, which is really important yeah. for artists and practitioners across, however, whatever community they're in, to bust outside the bubble. Um, and you've just always been 100. So, man, shouts out to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Daryl. And, uh, you know. Yeah, and if you're in Pittsburgh, stop by Boom Concepts. That's the best way to contact him. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Daryl. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.